Well, if you have your Bibles, take them out, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be at that particular verse today, verse 42 through 47. Before we get into the sermon, I just want to thank and appreciate and welcome all of the parents and families that are here for the Teen Challenge Boys. Uh, this is the Sunday that the families come into town and worship with their their sons, and we're just uh, thrilled to have you in our fellowship, just as thrilled as we are to be a home church for your boys away from home. And uh, it's our privilege and honor to have them, and we're thankful that you're here today. Amen. The, the title of this sermon is The Priority of Christian Fellowship. I want you to write that word down if you're using that study journal that we provide out of the book of Acts. Just write the word fellowship because in this message I'm going to give you an understanding of what that word means. Over the last year and a half, nothing has suffered more in the life of God's church than the believer's fellowship. We, like most churches, initially stopped public services back over a year and a half ago because no one really knew the magnitude of the pandemic. News reports were very troubling, and they showed corpses in New York stacked up like cords of wood. So out of an abundance of caution and the fact that the school board of Indian River County closed all public school facilities to outside groups, we were forced to stop meeting here. We didn't really wait for them to say that. We felt at the time it was necessary that we, that we stop meeting. The alternative was to live stream our service from my home, where <laughs> for the next 10 weeks, we saw my dog Bella walk across the, the, the screen a few times and I think on Easter Sunday morning, if I'm not mistaken, we were, I was sitting at my dining room table and had a bay window behind me, and when you looked out behind me, there was a bunny rabbit on Easter morning. You know, you can't stage those things. Uh, God was, was gracious to us, and we, we made the best of it. It was a wonderful time. We did that from March 15th to May 24th. We worship together from our homes, separated. Even after we started meeting publicly at Life for Youth Camp, many members remained at home with high-risk health concerns. Very understandable. This left our church fragmented. When we came to church, it just felt a little off, out of kilter, so to speak. We no longer served coffee or food prior to service, which before COVID was a very significant part of our fellowship, and everybody seemed to come out. We would have a ton of folks here uh, 20, 30 minutes before service, people getting food, getting some coffee, and then just standing around and having time of fellowship. I think it's safe to say that the last year and a half has had a significant impact on this fellowship, and I'm sure on every other church family. Even today, we still have some people who have not returned to our public worship service. Some still 
carry very high risk with their health, and they're just concerned to come into a crowd. Uh, my concern is that there are some who could return, but the routine of watching service via live stream has become not a supplement, but a substitute for the worship of God in service with God's people. Even for the vast majority who do attend, we don't see the crowds coming out early to fellowship. We come in time for service. There are those who do come before service and enjoy fellowship, but it's a smaller crowd now. COVID really has played a part in changing the dynamic of fellowship in God's church. It's taken a toll. And all of this weakens life in the Spirit as Scripture commands as it was read this morning. I think this passage comes at a perfect time in the life of Vero Bible Fellowship. And I'm speaking not only to those of you who are present, but I'm really also addressing our live stream audience. When I was a kid growing up in Daytona Beach, we had what we called a fellowship hall. And if you ask me what the word fellowship meant to me as a kid, it was uh, like, I don't remember if it was a tile floor or a vinyl floor, and it was those big heavy-duty uh, tables that you fold up and tear down, and it was the, uh, the, the stale cookies and the punch. <laughs> it was all those things. And we used it primarily for special events in the life of the church. And, and, and we gathered together and people hung out. They came and they stayed a while. And we had what we thought was fellowship. Uh, we still do that today. We use our chapelteria as a cafeteria. And we're going to do that in December when we have our potluck dinner here at Vero Bible Fellowship where all of you bring food, and we have a huge spread, man, that goes from this platform all the way to the back, and then tables and chairs on the sides, and we, we just feast together. We've decided we're going to do that this year. Hey, if they can fill stadiums to watch somebody carry a pigskin over a goal line, we can certainly gather together as the people of God and fellowship in the name of Jesus. This whole passage is interesting to me because it's held together by the word fellowship. The apostles' teaching was in an atmosphere of fellowship. The breaking of bread around the Lord's table was an expression of fellowship. Even the prayers that are spoken of, those are an expression of fellowship. When it says in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Listen, church, that is a strong action of fellowship that was occurring among the believers. They even held their possessions in common trust so that if anyone had a need, they would gladly sell what they had to give to the one who had the need. It says that the day by day they met together as the church, both in the temple courtyard and in homes. They were committed committed to a deep abiding fellowship 
a fellowship with the Lord first and then with the Lord's people. It says they broke bread together, eating meals together with gladness and sincerity. They were just so overwhelmed with appreciation that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and saved them, forgave them of their sins. This is a community of people in the early church who are committed to one another. This is the first expression of the life of the church found in Scripture. It's a life of mutual commitment. Commitment to God and commitment to one another. And why not? When you understand the analogy of Christ as the head and the church as his body, you begin to see just how connected we are to one another. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you a second. Please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick up at verse 12. 12, 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about this, this body of Christ, Christ being the head, his church being the body. And he says in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Each saved person in this body has been arranged as God has chosen. He goes further. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And, uh, and our pre unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. When VBF was launched by the Holy Spirit, we started with this common, mutually beneficial attitude. We were all so thankful to have one another. We couldn't wait to spend time each week with one another. Our fellowship wasn't about some event. It was about a renewed commitment to God and to the relationship that God desired that we have with one another. People who also loved God. But somewhere in the midst of the pandemic, we lost our focus, church. But getting lost and staying lost are two different things. Someone approached Daniel Boone he arrived two days late for some kind of an event. And they said, what happened? Did you get lost? And he said, no, but I was bewildered for a couple days. I think we've been bewildered because of a pandemic. But listen, I want to tell you something. It's time for God's church to rise up, wake up, sell the coffin of confusion and perplexity. The fog is lifting. It's time to get back to the life that Christ gave us in God, that we have this fellowship and that he wants us to participate not only with him, but in the fellowship of his family. No more excuses. It's time, church. It's time that we come to God on his terms of loving peace and we share that love with others. We're able to overcome the fears of COVID. Yes, we should always respect a pandemic, absolutely, but not fear it. To fear it is to not live the life that God's given you and to not live the life as believers together. And yes, we've been careful. We've taken steps throughout the last year and a half, but things are changing and we need to return to fellowship. Fellowship is the defining characteristic of the church. It's marked by words like unity, shared life, commonality, and community. Scripture clearly teaches us in our text that Christianity is not a spectator event that happens one day a week. It's a common shared life with other believers that happens as often as possible. In the spring of 1945, in the Nazi camp of Flossenburg, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. He was executed by special order of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's executioner. He had been arrested two years before, and over that period of two years, he had been transferred from one prison to the next, five prisons in all. All of this had a profound effect on Pastor Bonhoeffer because they moved him so much he lost all contact with the outside world. Everyone that he knew was severed from him. He lost, according to his own testimony, the most precious possession that he had. What was that? Fellowship. Pastor Bonhoeffer wrote a book years earlier before he was taken. He called the book Life Together. You would be wise to read it. I encourage you. 
It's based upon Psalm 133. And in the book, Pastor Bonhoeffer speaks of the precious riches found only in fellowship, which leading up to his death in prison, he had lost. Listen to what he said about fellowship. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. A physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. He later said, let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. He's talking about the church. What a privilege it is to be allowed to partake in God's church here at Bureau Bible Fellowship. This brings tears to my eyes because when I uh, had COVID and I was in the hospital for three nights, I, those lonely nights, but I'll, I had God. He was there with me. He helped me, but I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't see my wife. I couldn't see my kids. I couldn't even have a visit from another pastor. And, and when I came out of that hospital, I was so thankful that God spared my life, and I was so excited. I miss the church family. And of course, like so many of you know firsthand, we weren't allowed to come back together quickly. It, it, we came together, but from a social distance. We came together, but we had a mask on our face, and some still do, and that's fine. But all these things hindered our fellowship. But I'll tell you what, I, I don't know. I was talking with Nancy Altick before service. She had surgery this week. She found out that she's cancer-free. So we rejoice, Nancy. It's wonderful news. Amen. But she said, nothing was going to keep me from being here today. I needed to be in fellowship. I needed to be here. That's what it's about, church. It's what we're all about we should be about true fellowship is profound it's essential it's spiritual it's our very lifeblood to christ and his body as soon as the church is born on the day of pentecost look at this this commonality and and oneness begins to work itself out it can't stay in they get saved three thousand people and what's the first outbreak meeting in homes meeting in the courtyard of the temple for fellowship. It's the way God has wired believers. The verb to fellowship in the Greek is koinos. It's used eight times in the New Testament, seven times. It translates to share. One time it translates participate. You see, God has designed us after salvation to partake, to contribute, to share to link together in common partnership for a common cause. So when we see the church in the book of Acts, it is intensely relational. There's none of this get saved and then wander around at your leisure as a believer. 
No, when we come into salvation, we become embedded, so to speak, in a union of common life with other believers. We've lost this understanding, church. And it's time that we recover it. It's time that we remember who we are in Christ and the desperate need of our spirit and our soul to have fellowship in the name of the Lord with others. Now in our society, we see it's going in a different direction. It's reaping the results, and they're not good. We've gone from the big screen to the small screen. Now it's the smartphone that has captured our attention. And now it even isolates us more and more from fellowship. It's easier just to stay in my pajamas at home and just click on the TV and watch a live stream of the service than to actually take the time to get ready to go and worship with the Lord's people. And I'm not saying that everybody at home watching by live stream is doing the wrong thing. That's why we have live stream. It's for people who need a supplement for whatever reason today they cannot be with us. But if you're doing it as a substitute for the real, you're not helping, you're not experiencing fellowship as God designed it. It would be bad enough if we were just speaking of the world, but we're not. This whole concept, this, this, this progression from a group or public experience to a private, personal, self-indulgent experience in life, it's in the church. You have people like this Louis, Louis Giglio telling us that young millennials are leaving the church, but they're moving toward Jesus. How do you move towards Christ by moving away from Christ's body? What a lie! We need Christ and we need his church. That's what God designed us for. How do you move towards the head without the body? They're leaving church, but not toward going, but they're going towards Jesus. In other words, church is becoming unnecessary. I don't think that's the case for Bureau Bible. I, 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 I thank God that here we are this time of the year, and look at the crowd. We're thankful. Thankful to the Lord. Because we see the importance of fellowship. We see the importance of studying the word of God together. Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. So what we see happening in our community and even in our church community, it was happening in the book of Acts too. This is not a new thing. But how do we move, how do we move forward? I wonder what Christ thinks of the approach that I can just simply have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't need to be in a fellowship anywhere. Well, you have to understand the basis of fellowship before you'll really grasp how Christ would respond to that. On what basis am I obligated to the fellowship? What is the common ground that holds me to a fellowship, holds us together? Well, here's the basis of fellowship. You ready? It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Just write it down, I'll read it for you. 1 John 1, 3. That which we, the apostles, have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. Why would they proclaim this to people? So that you too 
may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The basis of fellowship is salvation. You cannot have fellowship with the body of Christ if you're not saved. If you're saved, you must be in fellowship. It's part of your salvation. Listen to what he said again. The reason we're telling you, we're proclaiming Christ is so that you may too have fellowship with us. You can't have it if you're not saved. And indeed, if you have it, you have it with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We have seen, they said, we have testified, we proclaim the gospel of eternal life, which was given to us. We proclaim it all to you. Why? So that you may have it with us and with the Father and with the Son. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, is not an end to itself. Listen, the proclamation of the gospel is not to produce individual, isolated Christians. The preaching of the gospel is to produce a fellowship, a shared common life, a purpose, power, and testimony that we have together. The goal of the gospel is not just saving a soul from hell. It's not just individual forgiveness. It's, it's more than that. It's The goal is fellowship with other believers, fellowship with God through Christ, the fellowship that we have by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, write it down. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. This is one little verse. Let me read it for you. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Is Christ abandoning, abandoning his church? No, he is not. He went to the cross and he shed blood to purchase the church. When the disciples didn't understand, he said, I'm telling you that upon this rock of revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church and not even hell can prevail against my church. If any human being thinks they can have Jesus without the body of Christ, you have been duped and lied to. And any pastor who thinks it's cool and okay, looking at the social sciences and seeing the drift of young millennials or the drift of older or whoever, the, the one and doneers, whatever you want to call them, listen, they're, they're wrong if they... Don't tell me how it is. Tell me how it ought to be. In the Word of God, we're to be in fellowship. Salvation means that every single redeemed person is entitled to the full involvement of fellowship. You don't look down on anyone. You don't despise anyone. You don't belittle anyone. Every person who is saved in Christ is entitled to full involvement in the fellowship. Whatever church, whatever background, whatever condition of life that they're in, whatever the ability or, or disability, whatever the status, we are one in Christ. God is no respecter of persons, and all of us who are in the fellowship are His eyes his equal because we are all in Christ. We're all equal here. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what nationality you have. I don't care. You know that even in the Hispanic, the Latin world, just like in America, but in that world, there's, there's hierarchy. There's a, 
for not, I'm not talking about all Latins feel this way, but I, I, I experienced it personally when I would go down into other South America, Central American countries. Look, a lot of people in the Latin world, Cuban, they put them towards the top, Puerto Ricans. But when you get down to the Hondurans and the Guatemalans, you're down towards the bottom of the barrel. That's how many in the world look in the Latin community. They've, they've measured all the groups of people. I'm telling you right now, God, help us. We are all one. It matters not what country you're from. That does not lessen your ability and your right to sit at the table with others. We're one in Christ. I Literally, we were planting a church in Miami and we had a pastor who was Guatemalan. And we put him in Miami. And the church wouldn't grow. And we're talking about a wonderful man of God, a prayer warrior, a man who had a heart to shepherd people, but he couldn't grow the church. Finally, he and his wife moved away. And then we brought in a Cuban pastor. And the church took off. Because so many different groups of people in Latin America would sit under the Cuban, they would not sit under a Guatemalan. This is in the church. God help us. I'll tell you what I hate. I hate the concept of a white church. The concept of a black church. That is, that is not what the Lord has called us to. We are all one in Christ. Every color matters. Every language matters. Every person matters. I don't care if you're the poorest person in Vero Beach. You desire to sit at the table of God like the richest person in Vero Beach. And our church ought to reflect that. You say, why? Why the big push on all this? Because we, the church, are the picture of Christ to the world. We should be different. Don't worry, I'm winding down. <laughs> so the basis of fellowship is salvation. The nature of fellowship, in other words, how the fellowship is to function, that is serving. <coughs> serving. Our basis is salvation. Our function is serving. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We don't enter this common life as demanders. We enter this life as thankful recipients. We're givers not takers. We are communers. We're not consumers. I love what Pastor Bonhoeffer said, quote, we thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brothers who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and by his promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily and is not what and is not what has been given us enough and what he's not given us enough of. It was Aristides who was writing 
in ancient times, back at the founding of the church. This is very interesting. He was a pagan who's looking at the church, trying to figure it all out. He's assessing the church. This is from Aristides. This is what he said, quote, speaking of, of Christians in the early, early days. And tr he said this, they abstain from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come in another world. When there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and if they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Such is the law of Christians, and such their conduct. How, how did we forget that? How did we move away from that? Christianity has become a way to personal wealth, health, and self-indulgence. What is the foundation of fellowship? Salvation. What is the function of fellowship? Sharing. Serving one another. Serving one another. I close with this, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ because there is one bread. We who are many are one body for we all partake of one bread. Is it not true that when we take communion that that is a picture of our shared relationship in Christ? That our Savior served us he sacrificed his own life on the cross for us and every time we take communion it should be a reminder who have i served this week who am i loving this week who am i caring about this week is it only people who are like you or are you going out of your way as the spirit of god leads to the person who has been left behind, to the disenfranchised, to the ostracized, and reaching them with the gospel of Christ and loving them with your hands and your feet, with your resource, giving of your time, giving of your abilities. It's time for us to return to fellowship church family it is much more than sitting in a fellowship hall eating stale cookies and drinking punch it's a spiritual experience and every believer ought to have it father i want to thank you for your love and for your goodness to us today as we think about fellowship maybe for some of us this is the first time we've ever really considered what fellowship is from a biblical perspective others of us have known it but we've maybe drifted because of the pandemic lord we've all done that i'm sure but god you're calling us back again the scripture don't forsake assembling together as some are in the habit of doing lord you're not wanting us to become isolated you're wanting us to sit at the table with all of God's people and share in the good things of the Lord and participate and serve one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
hey, before we get up and move, and I want to say that we have elders and prayer partners, they'll, they'll come and stand across the front so that any of you who have a need, you can come and be prayed for. That's real important. So just come up. And maybe today you've received Christ as your Savior. Praise God. Come up and share that with them. They'd love to hear it and pray with you. Um, but let me also, Dylan and Katie Surratt, are you guys in the room right now? Stand up. Dylan, you're here? Okay. Stand up, Dylan, because earlier we said that Dylan and Katie were going to be the ones leading our Operation Christmas Child, those Christmas boxes. And so I just wanted you to, if you can spin around, Dylan, I just want people to see your face. That's Dylan. And so please, if you have any questions, but next week, the boxes will be here, right? Thanks, Dylan. Tell Katie she missed her moment. <laughs> I did see her outside earlier. So, okay. Let's, uh, let's go ahead if we can and be dismissed, but take time to fellowship before you walk out. God bless you.